The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hey everybody, good morning. It is good to see you all and we are here to worship our God and I invite you please to stand. Amen. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at White Ridge, and uh, I'm just coming back from a sabbatical. I've been away for for a few months, and praise God, I had just an awesome, amazing time of of unplugging and and slowing down and spending time with family and doing a little bit of travel. Uh, It was just a really, really great summer. Uh, One one thing that I did this summer is I I went to a few different churches over the the course of, uh, of July and August, and I didn't go as a worship pastor taking notes or dissecting their service or criticizing anybody, except for we have better coffee than some churches do. I will, I will say that. But uh, aside from that, what I found was I just really wanted to be with other believers worshiping God. Uh, that's just the most beautiful thing. It's a privilege that we have. There's nothing else like being together in a room with people who have God in common. And uh, I wanted to read from Ephesians chapter 2, because this is what we have in common as brothers and sisters just here right now. Uh, Our God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is, not, this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of us may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's if you're a believer in, in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story, and that's my story. And we have that in common, and that's the God that we worship. And uh, what a privilege it is for us to join together, even just now, and lift up his name from the bottom of our hearts. And I invite you to stand, and we're going to spend some time doing just that. Just for a bit, I'm going to ask you guys to have a seat. I know that, uh, from what I understand, over the course of the summer, uh, as we've gathered, or as you've gathered here together uh, to worship, that you've, you've, you've taken some time uh, to reflect on what we have to be thankful for sometimes, and all the different ways that God has blessed our, our life and our ministry, and also how we might give back uh, from what he's given us uh, towards ministry. And, uh, and during the course of this next song, I invite you to do the same. So for those of you who are at home, um, uh, this might be a time where you look look into our our website or our our uh, our, our app on on your phone, and this might be a time to look at all the different ways that you might give, and to reflect on that here as well. But really, from a heart that just is overflowing with how God has blessed us, and we're going to continue to sing sing together during this time as well. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to call up Sig, and he's going to read us uh, scripture for this morning. You guys can stay standing, because he's going to ask you to stand anyways. Today's scripture reading, I'm going to be reading from Acts 4, 32 to 37. 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Please be seated. ESV Illuminated Scripture Journals were created to encourage reflective study of God's Word. Featuring beautiful gold foil stamped covers, each journal is a single book of the Bible and pairs lightly dotted blank pages opposite each page of ESV text. Each portable journal offers the full text of any book of the New or Old Testament, making it a great companion for a group Bible study or for taking notes through a church's sermon series. Pick an ESV Illuminated Scripture Journal and immerse yourself in the living, active Word of God today. morning. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, yeah, I wanted to give a little commercial on what you just saw. The Illuminated uh, Study Bible is the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're selling them out in the foyer right after the church service. You'll see a table. Last week we sold 47 of them. I think we've got several left. And we'll order more if we need to because in two weeks' time we will start using them as we get into the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll be introducing it for a couple weeks and then diving into chapter 5 in October when we uh, get into the Sermon on the Mount, which is I'm very excited about studying it all the way to Christmas time. So I hope you'll join us and, uh, and uh, go buy one of these because you'll, you'll find it very useful uh, in the days to come. I wanted to also uh, mention that as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're going to be talking about kingdom values. And as a way of kind of priming the pump, I want you to know that um, we all have harmful habits. We all have ways of living that are not good. And the only way to get rid of harmful habits is by holy habits. We think that sometimes we can get rid of harmful habits by addressing them head on and by just not doing something. But actually, the way that God's Word teaches us to be transformed is by this displacement of the bad and in with the good. And holy habits are really an important part of becoming more and more the kind of person God's called you to be. The kingdom values that we aspire to 
are being displaced by other things that you value, that your heart loves. And to get those other loves, those lesser base loves, to be in their place, God asks you to start acting like the Christian. That's not, that's not hypocrisy. That's not, that's not a self-improvement project. That's just saying, Lord, I believe you've called me into this kind of life, and I'm going to start behaving that way. And we're asking you to go on a journey with us. We call it the life path journey. Whenever you hear that term, you're going to know that we're talking about our, our idea of what it means to be disciple-making. And so on the journey, I don't think anyone likes to travel alone. <laughs> we like to travel with other people. And that's what we're inviting you into this fall. We're inviting you into a journey with some other people that uh, will, will study the Sermon on the Mount with you. Now, Doug's mentioned we're really looking forward to having the kitchen teams come back on Wednesday evenings. We're going to be filling this room with tables, and we're going to be starting to eat at 5.30 on Wednesdays. And then immediately at 7 o'clock, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to have a study of Sermon on the Mount. And you're going to be at tables individually discussing together. You're maybe going to be already in a life group. Maybe you're already in a discipleship group. And we're asking all life groups, we're asking all discipleship groups, all people in our church to journey this fall with us in studying Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Because I think that as we journey together, we're going to help each other grow in being more faithful disciples of Jesus. So whether it's a family unit, another two families gathering, whether it's a, a few friends, whatever your time schedule works out, but, but if you want to be part of this and you don't have people in this church family, next week Doug's going to tell you about the registration form to sign up and we will find a group for you, a discipleship group that you will fit into and you will journey with together. So please be praying for that and uh, asking the Lord to help us as we seek to become more and more a disciple-making church. That's what we're going to be judged on. The faithfulness that God has has given us is, is going to be judged on how, how are we doing at making disciples out of our own lives and out of those that God has entrusted to us. Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Well, Father, we've, we've been exalting you this morning already. We are on holy ground. All the angels cry holy, all your people cry holy. All of creation cries holy. And you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And we want our very lives to reflect your holiness and your glory. And yet we're, we're cracked vessels. We're broken and marred image bearers of you, Jesus. And we need not only the redemption that you purchased for us at the cross of Christ, but we need that ongoing sanctifying grace that your Holy Spirit gives us. And you, you give it to us in community with each other. And so, Father, we're asking you this fall that you might pour out blessing, that grace, much grace would be upon us, even as we read this morning that much grace was upon the early church. And we want to do church as they did. We want to learn how we can uh, grab hold of all the ways the society is trying to disciple us and grab hold of the things that you have said are core values 
for us, for us, your people, holy habits that we can pursue, not just alone but together. Would you help us, God? Help us this fall to, to take good steps, good next steps in our own personal discipleship and in a church way together. So thank you, Lord, and thank you this morning for the life of Barnabas that we're going to be studying as he was exemplary in so many ways. May we learn something from him even. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, over the summer, we have been studying this theme, follow me as I follow Christ. And we have studied Abraham and Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, uh, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Esther, Priscilla, Aquila, and now today we're going to study Barnabas, uh, people that have stood out for some reason in how they have pursued the Lord. Far from perfect people, but people that we could learn from. In each case, we've tried to tell the big story of their lives, the grand narrative of their lives, as well as dig into some of the qualities of faith and faithfulness that are worthy of emulating, that are worthy of patterning our lives after. We all need big brothers and sisters. We all need parents in the faith. We all need people that are going to be showing us the pathway. And even if they're old dead guys or women and, and men that are gone, but there's still people that can show us the way. And today, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas, here's somebody's artist's conception of Barnabas. I don't know what he looked like, but that was not his real name, as we heard Sig read. His real name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus. And it was the apostles' idea that they would nickname him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. And uh, that's, that's something that he had before the Acts 4 incident that we read about. He was son of encouragement. Now, nicknames are interesting things. I've noticed that camp is a great place for nicknames. Anybody got a nickname that got, you got at camp? Put your hand up if you got a nickname that came from camp. Oh, no, not as many as I thought. I, I remember when I was a kid going to camp, and um, it was near Godridge, Ontario, called Camp Hermosa. And uh, I decided that one year I would give myself a nickname because I didn't want someone else giving it to me. And if you think for a moment you're going to hear what that is, I am not telling you. <laughs> I think it lasted about three days, and then it was back to whatever they called me. I can't remember even. But it's interesting because Barnabas didn't make his name up. Barnabas was given his name by none other than the apostles. And they were not in the habit of giving nicknames to everybody. Barnabas got it because there was some quality in this man, Joseph, that made him stand out. And he called him, you're the son of encouragement. You're the son of encouragement. <laughs> we're going to study that quality this morning. And we're going to have a whole bunch of scripture that we're going to look at. So I'm going to just list them as we go in case you're interested in following along in your Bible or in some notes. In Acts chapter 4, we read about the early church, the passage that Sig read. It's not long after the day of Pentecost. God is powerfully at work in the early church. There are miracles happening. There are answers to prayer. There's great testimony of the gospel. The apostles' preaching is fruitful. 
And in the midst of it all, it's this incredible community life where no one who had anything that was their own said, that's mine. They were sharing it with the community of faith in Jerusalem and distributing those needs according to, or those things according to the need of individuals. It was a full-time job for the apostles. Incredible things that were going on in the early church. Some people were selling land or houses, bringing the money, laying it at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed it as people had need. In chapter 5, we read about a young couple who actually tried to lie and deceive the apostles. They sold some land and they brought only a portion of it to the apostles, and the Holy Spirit blew the whistle on them, and God dealt with them very severely. But we're talking about a man this morning that was on the other end of the spectrum. He was the man that deserved special mention according to Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. And his name was Barnabas because he just stood out as a man that was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he brought his money after he sold a field and he laid it at the apostles' feet and he had no strings attached. And uh, he, was called, he was called Barnabas, an Aramaic name that they say in the scripture here in the Greek text is Paraklesis, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Now you know the name Paraklesis if you've been around because it's close to the word Parakletos, which is the, the, what the Holy Spirit is called. He's called the Parakletos, the one who comes alongside of you to comfort you, encourage you. And encouragement is Paraklesis. That's the, that's the quality that they saw in Barnabas. Now, after Acts chapter 4, the next time we read about Barnabas is coming alongside someone else. He come alongside the church in Jerusalem and gave them money from a field. He comes alongside, in Acts chapter 9, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, a man that had been persecuting the church and, in fact, was on his way to persecute the church further with some papers in hand ready to drag them off into prison. But instead, God met him. Jesus Christ met him on that road to Damascus. And after he had some time, he ended up in in Jerusalem. But when he walked into Jerusalem, all of the believers didn't want anything to do with Saul. Nobody wanted to go near him. They were afraid of him. But guess what? Barnabas wasn't afraid. Barnabas went and visited Saul And then he said, come on, I'm going to introduce you to the apostles. And so in Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, we read about that incident where he took Saul of Tarsus, he introduced him to the apostles. They recognized, they heard his testimony, and then all of a sudden he is on their side and he is out there preaching with great power. And it says in the scriptures that that the church was built up. You see, Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He came alongside this outsider, Saul, and he brought him to be an insider. He was the son of encouragement. He had an an eye for the outsider. He had a heart for mercy. The next time we see it is Acts chapter 11, and uh, we see that the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, is hearing about reports of a daughter church that is in, in, in Antioch, and there's something going on there. You see, in Acts chapter 8, there'd been a persecution in Jerusalem, and all these believers were scattered. Some of them ended up in Antioch, and it started to happen that the Greeks, the Gentile believers, were coming to believe in Jesus. And so the church in Jerusalem had such trust in Barnabas that they sent him as an, a delegate and found out what was going on. 
And when he arrived, he said, he saw the grace of God upon them. In fact, it says in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them. The word is paraklesis. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for, and here's an interesting statement, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. The writer of Acts wants to make sure we don't understand what kind of man Barnabas was. We're getting a picture of his bent. We're getting a picture of what kind of man Barnabas was and the kind of thing we want to emulate in our lives as well. The next snapshot we have is in Acts chapter 13 and evidently Antioch was such an important place and, and, and Barnabas loved it so much that he stayed there. He didn't go back to Jerusalem and it says in the scriptures that, that uh, he stayed there and he became a leader in the church. In fact, Antioch was the first truly Gentile Greco-Roman church in the New Testament. And the church reflected the city around it. Isn't that wonderful when the church reflects the city around it in a good way? <laughs> Not in the negative worldly way, but in the good way. In other words, Antioch was this multi-ethnic church. It was a Roman city, had about 500,000 people, multicultural trade center, accessible port. There were Greeks that were poets and orators. There were Chaldean astrologers in Antioch. There were Arabs and Persians, Armenians and Parthians. And one-seventh of the population was Jewish. You get a picture of Antioch and you realize that is nothing like the mother church in Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? Jewish. Jewish church. So it's not surprising to us that God the Holy Spirit would say, hey, I want to send you guys out as the missionaries for the church of Jesus Christ. And I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth in fulfillment of Christ's last words in the Great Commission. That's the kind of church that he wanted to start the very first missionary movement in. And so we see this launching pad happen in verse 1. We could talk about the different people that were leaders there just to describe the multi-ethnicity. Barnabas is mentioned first, which is interesting because uh, he hadn't been there long, but he was already the first leader mentioned. Then there's a guy named Simeon called Niger, which means black. He was from Africa. And then there was Lucius of Cyrene, which is in North Africa. Manaean, who is also interesting because he was connected to royalty in Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist. And he's there, and then there was Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee that was newly converted from persecuting the church. What an interesting church that would have been. And God the Holy Spirit says one day while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, God the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I'm called them to. And so they lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul and they send them out. And they go out in the first missionary. This is called the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Now, it's not surprising that Barnabas is one of the key people that's sent out. He's got this incredible wide tolerance of different kinds of people. He's got an encouraging heart. He's got people skills. We would call him having a high emotional intelligence. He's a humble spirit. He's got zeal for the Lord. He wants the glory of the gospel to go out. He doesn't care if he gets the credit perfect guy to send out. And there are some people that 
don't have this same Barnabas spirit. You've probably met some. They're not having this generous spirit. They don't have wide tolerance. Pat and I met some when we were on the mission field. And we could tell quickly that they had to be in charge. They had to have things done their way. They didn't have tolerance for different people. They had more of a we-they attitude than an us-together attitude. And they ended up actually in some cases being users. They used people for their own agenda. God doesn't want users in the church. God wants to build team. God wants to have koinonia fellowship. God wants to see the body working together as a body should. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we see Barnabas as this incredible humble soul. Now his humility is going to be tested in this very chapter, Acts 13, later on, no, sorry, in a couple chapters later on, um, when in, sorry, in this same chapter, his holy, this, this holy man is, is tested because I want you to note something. In verse 2, it's set apart Barnabas and Saul. In verse 7, it's still Barnabas and Saul But in verse 13, we read, Now Paul and his companions. (laughs) And by the end of the chapter, in verse 46, when they are mentioned together, it's Paul and Barnabas. And there's no indication, because the rest of the the time that they're together, it's always Paul and Barnabas, not Barnabas and Saul. And there's no indication that in any way this bothered, bothered Barnabas. He was a humble soul. He was willing to take the role of second fiddle. He didn't have any trouble with it because he said the Holy Spirit had set them apart. And he probably reasoned that if the Holy Spirit set them apart, if God wanted to raise up this young guy named Saul into Paul the Apostle, then I'll I'll go along with that because that's the best way to go, God's way. Unfortunately, we don't see that kind of humility always in leadership of churches or missions or parachurch ministries. We see too much of the vying for power and authority. Now, in case you think that this is just a bed of roses and it's going to go smooth till the end, I I want you to know that this story continues. And at the end of Acts chapter 14 is the end of the first missionary journey, and they report back to the church at Antioch. That's why that's the way missions should work, is that there's a sending church, And there's a reporting back to that church, and there's an accountability, and the support is there. And then at the end of chapter 15, we read that there's the beginning of the second missionary journey that Paul begins. And he says to Barnabas, he says, hey, why don't we go back to all the churches that we visited and planted in the first missionary journey, and let's encourage them. And so it says in the Scriptures in chapter 15, verse 36, that... um, Barnabas wanted to take his young cousin named John Mark. And Paul refused to let him go because he had abandoned them on the first missionary journey. That's interesting. It says in verse 36, very strong language, verse 39, sorry, that a sharp disagreement developed between Barnabas and Paul. So much so that they went their separate ways. And Barnabas took his cousin Mark and went to Cyprus. 
And Paul took his colleague Silas, and they carried on on the mainland to visit the churches. Wow. What are we to make of this? This disagreement. Who was right? Who was wrong? I'm not sure we know. What we do know is that Paul was acting very much in character with his personality, and that Barnabas was acting very consistent with his personality. Paul was not going to let anything hinder the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to. And so if it meant getting rid of Mark, then that's okay. And Barnabas was not going to let anything hinder the people that God had called them to. And if it meant leaving Paul and his journey, that's fine. I'm staying with Mark. And you know what? You have a leaning to one way or the other in your gut already. You already lean towards the Paul way that is going to stay true to the work, or you lean toward the Barnabas way that is going to always be careful with people. You know what? Both of those ways can be extremities that have their dangers. And when you put them all together, when you have truth and love put together, you see the perfect combination. It's like the seamless tunic that Jesus wore because in Jesus Christ, grace and truth come together incarnate. And the Bible says, Paul, in in Ephesians 4.15, he says, speaking the truth in love, you will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And we cannot sacrifice either. And so, for Barnabas, the center of his campaign was people. For Paul, the center of the campaign was going to be getting the work done and visiting the churches. And Barnabas would not buckle under a strong leader like Paul. And so he took his own leave and went his way. Paul or Barnabas would fight for anyone he was walking with to have a second chance. Barnabas was a generous spirit. Barnabas was loyal to the core. Barnabas was the gracious man who would give you another chance. And even if you're going through the toughest time, Barnabas would never leave your side. We all need a Barnabas in our corner, don't we? We all need a Barnabas, an encourager, someone that's not going to throw you under the bus in the hour of need. Mark found a man in his life with the gift of mercy. And he... he flourished under that. Mark flourished under that. Mark's the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark flourished under that. And uh, I want you to know that the next scripture I want to share is from 2 Timothy. And uh, there's a bit of a vindication of Barnabas because it says in Paul's very last letter that he wrote before he dies, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and what does he say to Timothy? He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me in ministry. (laughs) See, Barnabas didn't give up on him, and Paul maybe didn't have the patience at the time. But he came around to see that, indeed, Mark was useful. Now, I want you to know, and you already know this, that after chapter 15, the story follows Paul's journey, not Barnabas's. The Holy Spirit of Scripture follows Paul <laughs> and Silas. Now, what does that tell us? I don't know. You can make your own conclusions. 
I think the church is in need of Paul's and Barnabas's. And I think it takes great discernment and great humility to walk together when we don't agree. And so the very next picture, Galatians chapter 2, I'll share with you. Paul has to confront Peter in the churches. And Peter is the other big super apostle. The first 13 chapters of Acts follows Peter. The rest of the book of Acts follows Paul. These are the two heavyweights. And so here's the two heavyweights of the early church having a clash. You see, what happened was that in Antioch, when Peter went to visit the church there, he gladly ate his meals with the Gentile believers, though he was a Jewish Christian. And then when some of his cronies, his buddies from Jerusalem, arrived to visit and see the work there, he draws back from eating with Gentiles, and he starts to cluster with the Jews only. Paul comes into the room, and he sees that, and he, he rebukes him publicly. He says, you shouldn't be doing that. And it says in the Scripture in Galatians 2 and verse 11 that even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. Doesn't sound like Barnabas. Sounds like Barnabas would be with the out, down and outers, with the outcasts, with the, the marginalized. But he needed Paul to confront him. He needed Paul to speak the truth clearly. And it says in Scripture, we see that indeed this might have led to the Jerusalem Council, which clarified how Jews and Gentiles are going to get along under Jesus Christ. Very important meeting of the early church. So, led to an interesting decision. Paul, laser-focused on truth. Barnabas, laser-focused on grace. How do we weave these together? One more snapshot I want to give you of this in this 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul is writing the defense of his ministry. Paul is saying that as an apostle, as a servant of Christ, he has every right to be paid for what he does. Don't muzzle the ox and all that stuff. And yet he says, but I, I didn't use that right because I didn't want to put any stumbling block in any, anybody's path. So he was a tent maker and he, he worked every every week to sustain himself. And then he says this in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, in his argument, he says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now what does that tell me except that he sees, later in ministry, he sees Barnabas as an equal to him. He sees Barnabas as a colleague in ministry. He's still in touch with Barnabas whose ministry is far away from where Paul's is but they're still walking in fellowship. And so, great respect between the two of them. So in summary, what do we see? How do we see this paraclesis, this encouraging ministry, this coming alongside? We see him, first of all, at the church in Jerusalem, sells a field, lays the money at the apostles' feet, encourages the church. Secondly, takes Saul of Tarsus, totally rejected by the apostles, brings him in and says, guys, this guy's on our team. Let's work together. Thirdly, church in Antioch goes down there, sees the grace of God, has the church in Jerusalem say, yeah, this is good. God's at work here. Then uh, Paul the missionary 
uh, goes along with Paul, lets him take lead, doesn't matter. And then finally Mark, his cousin, the failure, the one that was the outcast by Paul. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with him. This is the man. This is the, the weight. This is the story of Barnabas. And I just want to make some conclusions and qualities that I see in Barnabas that are worthy of emulating. First of all, giving to help with the needs of others with no strings attached. This submissive attitude. Oh, that God would give us that kind of spirit. Secondly, serving without needing to be acknowledged or given credit. Man, it's amazing what we can get done when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Thirdly, loyalty to take the side of the outsider, the down and out, the rejected, the misunderstood. Sometimes that's all someone needs is since when everybody's against them, they just need someone in their corner. Fourthly, courage to be led by convictions and even confront friends and colleagues and go your own way if it's absolutely on your conscience that you must obey God rather than men and women. And then finally, humility to reconcile differences and carry on the work of God. I mean, Paul and Barnabas got along in the end. Barnabas put it aside, didn't hang on to grudges. You know, you, your life can either discourage or encourage. And uh, you have choices to make in every relationship. God will bring you into some that are harder. That's part of your sanctification as well. God will bring you into some that are easy. It's easier to be an encourager in those. But how can we make sure that we encourage and not discourage? There's so many scriptures that God is asking us to encourage one another in. Is there a quality in Barnabas that you see you need to step up? Is there one, for example, in 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another daily. Let's do that. Let's encourage one another we all need a Barnabas in our lives. Pat and I were reminiscing yesterday. I was talking to her about the sermon, and, and I was saying, can, can you think of somebody in our ministry that was an encourager? And right away, didn't even skip a beat, Pat said, a guy named Bob. And uh, it was a Bob from a former church. He's a man that came to know Jesus Christ in his 80s. He had been in a mainline church that wasn't really preaching the gospel and I think he really came to be a born-again man he was a widower by this time and uh, he he started attending and he just was soaking up the word of God and he was an encourager to the core he would go and visit these, those old people in in the seniors residences he was older than them but he would go and visit them regularly. He would pray regularly. You could tell that he'd ask about things. You knew he was holding you up in prayer. He would take us out for dinner. Our family just, our kids loved him. And I was so ripped off because I broke my ankle playing hockey the, the week before he was going to be baptized. So I, I had an elder of our church baptize him. I wanted to baptize Bob. See, that's, that's an encourager. Maybe you've got someone who's come alongside of you at a difficult time, a dark time. Or maybe you, you're called by God to be the person 
who comes alongside someone else. Well, I want us to uh, shift gears and think about the cross of Christ, and I want us to think about how the Scriptures remind us in Philippians 2, it says, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Well, guess what? It's, it's kind of a rhetorical statement. You do have encouragement from being united with Christ. You do. And there's no greater champion for you. There's no greater encourager for you than Jesus himself. Now, you need someone with flesh on. I get that. But Jesus Christ is the one who who's the best encourager of all. And it says in the scriptures in, in Hebrews 4, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want you to see how Jesus played the role of encourager and plays the role of encourager. I want you to see how Barnabas was just a little Christ a little example, just like you and I are meant to be little Christs to everybody else, putting on Jesus Christ and being clothed in his virtue and going outside of the gate to the outsiders, to the down-and-outers, to the people that are not part of the group and saying, come on in, not giving up on the failures like Mark. You see, you and I were exactly in that place. There was a time when you were an enemy of God, there was a time when you were alienated from God, that there was no heart for you to seek after God, and God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to this earth and by the power of his Holy Spirit began to warm your heart after him. And he, he, he went and, and indeed he came to seek and to save the lost. And he left the 90 and 9 on the hill and he went after you. That's the kind of God Jesus Christ is. That's the kind of Savior he is. I hope you know him. Let's pray together as we prepare to gather around the table of the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Barnabas, the example that he set, how he points to you, Lord Jesus, the greatest mediator of this new covenant the one who exemplifies everything that you purchased for us. Jesus, thank you for all who you are. And today, Lord, today we, we say again to you that we recommit to wanting to follow you. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your children. Help us, O oh Lord, to be the encouragers of others that we can be. In Jesus' name we ask it.
because I can't get that top cellophane off. <laughs> ah, got it. I also forgot to mention for those that are at home to go and get some bread or cup and something that you could join in this meal with, I'm sorry. Uh, and if you're in this room, just raise the hand maybe. If you didn't get one of these and you want one, Ushers, could you bring them down the aisles, please? And uh, there's a few that just uh, keep your hand up. Thank you. And I'm sorry for not mentioning that earlier in the message. Uh, Down both aisles, please. There's some at the back there. There's some here. Thanks, you guys. I'm glad that we've been able to study different characters from Scripture throughout this summer. And uh, this morning, again, I just remind us that uh, this quality that Barnabas displayed of being able to put aside his own interests and take care of the interests of a, a church or an individual like Saul or like Mark, this is the picture of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to hang on to, but he made himself nothing. He, he, being found in, as a servant, he, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death on the cross. So, so we see this quality, and if we're followers of Jesus, he calls us to do the same. And uh, today we celebrate this meal reminding ourselves that it was Jesus Christ that went beyond the gate into that outsider's place and brought us in to the fold of God. And we give thanks to him for that. It was because of his death and resurrection that this is made possible. So let me give thanks for the bread and the cup, and then I'll invite you to participate and partake of it with me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this meal that you have prepared. And your son, Jesus, is the host that comes to invite us, and, and we're here because of his grace upon us. It's, we're here because that, that, that he died on the cross. He, his body was broken, his blood was shed, and it was for our salvation so that our sins could be washed away, cleansed, and we could stand before you holy, though we are sinners. We are stand robed in the righteous of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And would you encourage each person here that's partaking of this meal to just recommit to pressing into you and recognizing that your all-sufficiency is all we need. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you now to take the wafer. And this wafer represents the body of our Savior broken for us, eat it in remembrance of him. We read that after the supper, Jesus took the cup, and it says that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this juice, reminding yourself that it was the blood of Jesus that washes away all of your sin, and be thankful. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you. Lord God, I thank you that that is true.
I thank you, Lord, that because of your son and because of what he's done and because of the place that we now have before you, that it is well with our soul, regardless of what our circumstances are, that we can know that that is always true. And we thank you for the example of Barnabas. We thank you for him and for, for what you've taught us today. I pray, God, that you would help grow us together in being encouragers. Help us to be the ones who give second, th- second chances and forgive, even when it's hard. Help us to be the ones who see those who are on the outside and help us to love them well, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would continue to grow us in the example of Christ as well. And we, we give thanks that it's true that Christ is always patient and is kind and does not envy and does not boast and is not proud and doesn't dishonor others, is not self-seeking and is not easily angered, that he keeps no records of wrongs. I thank you, Lord, that because of how you are growing us in him, that, that love can always persevere. And I pray that you would help us to be that way with one another. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. And I pray that you would bless this week for your glory through this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.